How y'all doing this evening? Well, we got a good crowd here. Not uh, you typically don't have Sunday night service, right? Wow, I'm blessed y'all are here. Thanks for showing up. <clears throat> uh, I'm going to talk to you a little bit tonight about faith. Um, I do want you to understand, if you find anyone who says he's an expert at it, you better be leery of that guy. Because I don't know anyone who is an expert at faith. We all are a people of faith, and we're at different stages of our journey in that faith. No one is better than anyone else. We're all in the journey together. And uh, sometimes the Lord sends along mentors, and sometimes He sends along people whom you'll be able to teach and lead. And whatever role God has put you in, it's still a walk of faith. Because the Bible says, while you're turning in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, I notice your pastor has been preaching through this book, and so I'm not going to rehash, hopefully, what he said. I, I didn't listen to his sermon, so I haven't gotten his notes. Uh, but I'm sure uh, maybe the Lord will compliment what he said in the past tonight. Uh, <clears throat> while you're turning there, let me say that the Bible specifically says two things. Number one, it says the just shall live by faith. And secondly, it says we will walk by faith and not by sight. So if we are to live by faith and walk by faith, do you not agree that it would be vitally important that we understand what it is? Now, let me tell you what it is not. Faith is not getting a good idea and working hard enough and praying long enough and hoping deep enough until God relents and makes this thing happen that we've had in our mind. That's not faith. That's presumption. You're presuming on God. But faith is, knowing what God's going to do before He does it, you believe God, obey God, and then God accomplishes what He told you in the beginning. Now, you're at Hebrews chapter 11, right? Verse 1. Now, I'm going to give you a brief word study, um, so you'll understand how I think according to the Scripture. It says, now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. I'm reading from the New King James Version of the Bible. By the way, if you have a different version, may read a little differently, mean the same thing. So it says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. If you write in your Bible, underline the little word substance. Some time ago, I asked a teenager up where I live, when you think of the word substance, what do you think about? <laughs> kind of a loaded question for a teenager, isn't it? I thought, well, this kid's going to come up with something uh, that's going to be pretty creative, maybe substance abuse or you know, something like that. But he thought about that for a while. We think a little differently up in Eastern Kentucky and you all do down here in North Carolina. That's all right. We need to think a little different in different parts of the country. He thought about that for a while, looked up at me and said, when I think about substance, I just think about stuff. I said, you know, that's probably the greatest definition I've ever heard of substance. Because faith is the stuff. It's the content of. It's the makeup of. It's the essence of. Faith is the stuff. I like that. That is the stuff that is to characterize the life of a Christian is faith. Faith is the stuff of things hoped for. See that little word hope right there? We use that differently than they did in the New Testament because Paul said we have one hope of his calling. Paul wasn't guessing about his call, but he was confident about his call. Now, here's the way we use it. If you came up to me tonight and you said, Brother Lonnie, I'm not feeling too well, I might respond to you like this. Well, I'm sorry you're not feeling well. 
I hope you feel better tomorrow. You ever use that word like that? You know what you just said, don't you? I don't have a clue whether you will or not. I don't know if you're going to feel better tomorrow, but I hope you do. Now, that's the way we use that same word with faith. I don't know if it's going to work out, but I just hope it does. That's not the word used here. That could be translated confidence. So faith is the stuff that you're already convinced about. That's what that means. It's not something you guess about. It's something you're already convinced about. Now, watch this close. And then it says it becomes the evidence or the reality so that everyone else can see what you now see. Pretty amazing, isn't it? It's simple. And uh, as we go through life, we are to walk by faith, we are to live by faith. Therefore, it becomes the stuff that we're convinced about. And when we're convinced about it, the world sees exactly what we see. Now, that's what faith is. Let's go on down a little, a little farther. Verse 6, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. Now, again, a little word study. If you underline in your Bible, underline the word impossible. (laughs) What's that word mean? Uh, I thought about that, and I'm thinking, wait a minute now. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. But you know, we think we can really please God without faith. But unless I miss that, You can teach Sunday school, you can sing in the choir, you can preach in the pulpit, you can attend church every time the doors are open, and if you're not doing those things in faith, according to verse 6, your life does not please God, or else I miss that verse. Without faith, it's impossible. That means that there isn't the slightest chance that it's going to happen. So don't fool yourself into believing that the things you do for God will be pleasing to God outside of faith. They will not be, according to this verse. So do you understand that the person who is walking by faith and living by faith is the person whose life is pleasing to God? It is not what he does. It is his walk with the Father that determines whether or not his life is pleasing to God. Let me give you an example. If you are saved and you are a good person, morally and every other way, does God love you more than the sinner on the street? No. You know why he doesn't? Because God can't love you any more than the cross. And he loves everybody the same on the cross, doesn't he? So we can't get good enough to be loved by God. How do we think we can get good enough to please him? Apart from faith, we cannot. So if we are to walk by faith and live by faith, we can't please God without it. We better understand what it is. Now, let me show you how simple this is. (laughs) It's so simple that though we be a fool, we wouldn't miss this. Now, look at verse 7. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear. When did Noah start building the ark? That's the question. Was it a good idea? No. It was God's direction. It wasn't a good idea for Noah to spend all those years building an ark when it hadn't rained up to that point, all these things. You know that story. It wasn't a good idea. But God has a better plan than we know of. Look down at verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was... 
when he was called. Abraham didn't know what to do as God told him. But somehow we think that if we go out and set this plan in motion, that God's going to show up and everything's going to work out just, just fine when it may not. Now, let me give you an example of how we can know what God's going to do before God does it. That would be pretty important, wouldn't it? When God called my wife and I back to Lynch, Kentucky in 1999, we didn't do that because it was a good idea. It wasn't a good idea for me to leave the luxuries I had and go to a town that had all poverty and hopelessness and helplessness, and the town was in disarray. That's not the normal thing to do. But God spoke to us. And here's what God said. You can write it down in the flyleaf of your Bible or on a little notepad. Isaiah 41, 17 and following, here's what God said to me in that verse. The same thing he said to Noah, the same thing he said to Abraham, he spoke to my heart. And he said, the poor and the needy are thirsty. And there's no water for them to drink. But I, the God of heaven, have heard them. And I will make a river to flow from the mountains so that all men will see that God has done this thing. And my wife and I sold everything, packed up. And, well, sold the house. We didn't sell everything we had. Packed up and moved back to Lynch, Kentucky on the promise of God. We didn't have a clue what God was going to do then. And I want, I want you to understand this. I'm here tonight in North Carolina, not because I'm a great preacher, not because I'm a great missionary, but because God is always a faithful God to do every single time exactly what He says He will do. And that's the reason I'm here, so that you will know that God has done this thing in the Lynch, Kentucky area. You understand how important that is? And so when we got back to town, we knew that God was going to do something. We didn't know what. And so... Uh, we did not initiate and do not initiate ministry. You know why? Because God is all the time initiating. We just don't know where He is. So we figure if we initiate something, something good's going to come out of that. And it may or may not. But every time God initiates it, it always good comes from it. Now let me give you an example. We began to look to see where God was doing things and how God would bring things to us. Because there's a million needs in this community, I'm sure. And no church can ever address all million of them. You'll only be able to address that which God brings to you. Because if you go out in the community and you try to address every need in the community, you're going to be running yourself ragged. I can guarantee you that because there's a lot of needs out there. But when God brings it, he'll be supplying that. Now watch this close. I believe that man is made in the image of God. We can discuss this theologically later if you choose. But because man is created in the image of God, I believe he is a threefold being. He is body, soul, and spirit. The body is what you see. The soul is your senses or your emotions or whatever that may be, what you feel, what you see, what you hear, so forth. But the spirit is a part of you that the Bible describes as being dead in trespasses and sin until you're born again of the spirit of God. Am I right? Now watch this. All of our life, we have been taught to relate to our world through the first two, through the body and the senses, what you feel, what you hear, what you so forth and so on. And then all of a sudden, God intersects our life, and we're born again of the Spirit of God. And you remember what Jesus told Nicodemus? Do not be surprised that I say to you, you've got to be born again, because unless a man is born again, he cannot, what? He cannot see the kingdom of God. You see, the spiritual part of you allows you 
for the first time in your life to be able to see your world and the heart of God at the same time. Christians are the only people in the world who can do that because we're born again of the Spirit of God. But now watch what happens. When Jesus Christ saves us, we try to bring all of our past life, how we relate to the world, into our spiritual life. And it doesn't fit. Because what you see and what you feel and what you hear may not be what God's trying to show you. It did not fit when my wife and I returned to Lynch, Kentucky. It wasn't a fit for us because we left a very affluent society to go to a very poor, poor neighborhood. That didn't fit because we were trying to operate sometimes from the body and from the soul. Now, if you're on the finance committee, don't get upset at me because I don't know who you are. But if God brings something to a church and you bring it in the finance committee and we say, we feel God's leading us to do this in the church. Sometimes the first thing you hear, man, I don't see how we're going to do that because we don't have any money to do that. You, you know what you just said? I'm operating over here in the soul. I'm operating on what I see I can do. Uh, or, I, man, I don't feel that's the right thing to do right now. You know what you just said? I'm operating on what I feel. What does God have to say? That's going to be the key. So we began to say, Lord, we don't know what to do. You show us what to do. We want to see your heart. And so uh, when we got back to town, we understood that 98% of our kids in our school system were on the free or reduced lunch program, 98%. That's reduced somewhat now. It's probably down to 85 or something like that. <clears throat> but anyway, the story came to my wife, and here's the story. Said the little boy came to school, and they're required by the school to eat all of their meal that day because for many of them, that's the only meal they're going to get. And uh, so this little boy had hamburgers that day. He cut his hamburger in two, and he ate half, and he wrapped half of it up, and he jammed it in his pocket. The teacher called him and said, Son, why didn't you eat the rest of that hamburger today? And the little boy looked at the teacher and said, Well, teacher, my mama told me I couldn't eat this half. I had to bring this half home so my little sister would have something to eat tonight. Now, I'm not talking about some foreign country. I'm talking about a few hours from where you live. Probably in your town somewhere, you're going to find the same thing. And so our prayer was this. God, you fed two million people in the desert with manna. If you could feed so many with so little, Lord, could you teach us how we need to feed the mountain kids so that we can tell them about you? And so God began to... Now, we didn't initiate anything. You understand how we operate, right? We didn't initiate that, and God began to send us in food from across the country. It was amazing. When God laid it on our heart, he began to supply the need. We didn't tell folks what we needed. Now, later on, if they would ask us, what do you need, we would tell them. But at that moment, we didn't because we didn't know what we needed. And God began to send us food from all across the country. It was amazing. And we opened up what we call manna house, now called loaves and fishes. And uh, manna house was feeding I don't know, several hundred families per month. Over $25,000 worth of food every month we gave away through that store. That translates to about $300,000 a year. Now, we didn't ask anybody for money, and we didn't ask anybody for food. God provided every single bit of that. And hundreds of folks were coming to know Jesus as a result of this manna house ministry. I'd stand up in the back of my old pickup truck, and they'd gather around to get that food, and I'd be preaching Jesus out of the back of that old truck. Uh, because God had sent us there to do an amazing work. 
And so we just thought, if God's going to bring this into being, God's going to take care of that. We couldn't even think $300,000. But what's that to God? I mean, he fed two million. He can feed, he can feed a few hundred. No problem, right? But that's what God said. And based on what God said, that's exactly how we responded. Now, this happens all the time. Everywhere you turn, God is doing something in your life and in your community to bring you in an encounter with Him so that He can use your life to meet a need and share His love with someone. And if you aren't looking for that, you're going to look right over an opportunity to express your faith in God. Now, if God brings you something, don't try to go out and fix it. Let God fix it. I mean, He started it. He'll fix it okay. Let me give an example. My wife and I were sitting in the... Went down to Tasty Cream in Cumberland. <laughs> That's a little ice cream hole in the wall. And we got us an ice cream, went up to the Family Dollar Store parking lot. We were sitting in the parking lot eating an ice cream on a Saturday night, watching traffic go by. That's about all we got to do in Lynch. And anybody been to Lynch before here? One person. Yeah. Two. So that's, that's amazing. So you've got to come up and see what I'm telling you when you do that. You don't have to come to work. Just come visit something. See what God's up to. We're sitting in the family dollar store parking lot watching these kids drive by. Every now and then they'd stop and hand something out the window, and we probably thought this was a drug deal going down. So that night God laid it on our heart to pray for a teen center in town. And uh, we prayed for two years. Now, you've got to come back uh, Tuesday night uh, so you find out how we pray. How, how you pray is just as important as that you pray. And you're going to have a prayer emphasis right following this meeting, and so it would be a good time to learn about that. And so we began to pray. We prayed for two years for that teen center. Nothing happened. But did we think God wasn't in that? No, God brought it to us. We didn't just think that was a good idea. And so we prayed, didn't do anything for two years, and all of a sudden this church from South Carolina called me up and said, Lonnie, has God laid any vision on your heart you've seen yet unfulfilled? I said, yes, sir. Uh, God wants us to start a teen center in town. He said, well, what do you see in this teen center? I said, I don't have a clue except to say things that kid enjoy, kids enjoy, like big screen TVs and Xboxes, PlayStation 2, Wii, stuff like that pool tables, foosball tables, stuff they can just come in a non-threatened environment, have a good time, and just hear the message of hope in Jesus. They said, okay, we'll pray with you about that. So I'm doing nothing now but praying, right? They called me back in a few weeks, said, Lonnie, we're bringing you stuff up next week. I said, what stuff are you bringing? We're bringing you big screen TVs and your video games, your pool tables. said, it's all brand new and it's all been donated. I said, don't bring it. (laughs) They said, why not? I said, I don't have a building for it. Now, what would be the thing to do? The thing to do would be find an old building that's empty somewhere, rent that, and move in, right? But we decided to wait on God. He started it. God's going to have to finish it. You don't have to do stuff for God. All you got to do is walk with Him. And so uh, we prayed some more. And about three weeks after that, this pharmacist called me up and said, Lonnie, I sold out my business to Rite Aid. And I got to move out of town. And I got to looking at this lease I have on these buildings. And I have a three-year lease on these two buildings. I cannot get out of this lease. I've got to pay it. So can you use these buildings in ministry? Now, what do you think I said? <laughs> I said, certainly we can. So bring. A, so I called the church back in South Carolina. I said, bring your stuff up. Now God's given us a building. 
And the only thing I did, and my wife's here, she can attest to what I'm telling you, the only thing I did was help them move the stuff out of the truck into this little storefront. We opened up what we call Club 118 Center, and 250 street kids showed up. Now, it was chaos. We didn't do any advertising. We didn't hand out any bill, you know, flyers. We didn't do any of that. We just said, hey, we're going to open up this club. You're welcome to come. And they came. They were fighting in the parking lot. All kinds of stuff going on. But inside, we had mission teams in there like you sitting at those tables and playing those games and leading teenagers to Jesus. Just exactly what God had showed us nearly three years prior to that. And now we started a little church in our town called Community Christian Center. And the majority of our church, maybe 50 strong right now, not a very large church, but coming along, maybe 50 strong now, the majority of the church is made up of those kids that were part of Club 180 in the initial Club 180 because that's been seven, eight years ago. And uh, those 17-year-olds now are mid-20s. They have families of their own, and now they're a part of our church. Now I want you to look what God does. Now there are Club 180s in six different states around America. And every single day, some kid, teenager, somewhere in America is being saved through the ministry of a Club 180. Now watch. None of those kids who are saved will ever know about Lonnie and Belinda sitting in the parking lot eating an ice cream and finding the burden of God. But every single one of them will know Jesus. See, you can't figure out God. But when he gives you a word, you follow him, and he'll do exactly what he says he will do every time. You see, you can see his heart. He will show you his heart, and he'll show you just enough of it so that you'll be able to obey what you see. And uh, he's not going to show you more than you can obey, just what you can obey or see to obey. Now, let's go on down to verse uh, 13. Here's an amazing part of faith. <clears throat> talked about all these great roll call of the faithful. Then he said, uh, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. You see, faith always sees afar off. Now, let me give you an example of what I mean in that. I remember just as a little boy growing up in the mountains of eastern Kentucky, my grandmother was a godly saint. My parents didn't go to church very much at that point, but my grandmother did, and she'd always ask me to get the old Bible off the shift robe. You know what a shift robe is? Some of you do. And uh, I'd, she had turned to the old English style writing in those old family Bibles. I could hardly read that stuff. I could hardly see it, let alone read it. And I'd mumble through that. I'd get through reading that, and there'd be tears coming down my grandmama's face. And she said, boy, that's the best I've ever heard, son. And she'd say, one of these days you're going to be a preacher. And that was when I was just a boy. And my grandmother went home to be with the Lord, and I guess it was 15 years after my grandmother went home to be with the Lord, that God called me to be a preacher, saved me, changed my life around. But you know what? My grandmother had already received the promise from God, and she saw it afar off. I didn't see it, but she did. And the second thing it says, that when they saw this afar off, they embraced it. You know what that means? They internalized it. It became a part of their life. Everywhere they went... It was with them. And when God called us to Lynch, Kentucky, we so internalized that that our focus was entirely on God and still is. We're waiting to see where God is going to show up 
and that's where we're going to plan our lives. Whenever he brings something to us, we're going to embrace the truth of God. We're going to internalize that. Now, notice what else it says. Not only were they assured of it, they embraced it, and then they confessed it. The confidence that God's going to do it, the lifestyle that lives out what you confidently believe, and then the confession of what God is going to do even before he does it. I met with the three city councils when I got back to town in Cumberland, Benham, and Lynch. And uh, they said, you've been here a while, said, uh, and our towns are in bad shape. Can you tell us what we're doing wrong? <laughs> That's like saying, sick them to a dog, to a preacher, isn't it? And I said, well, here's what I observe. You trusted in U.S. Steel, International Harvester, in the U.S. government, and look where you are. Your towns are going to pot. Uh, the road system's bad, the sidewalk's bad, the houses are falling down, but you keep trusting in these people. Why don't you trust in God? God's rebuilt many cities. They said, okay, we'll trust God. Kind of like that. I said, okay, we will. So the next year, the government gave us, our, as the three towns, $200,000. God, through the ministry, gave us $500,000. I documented it, took it back to the... City Hall the next year said, look what the government did, look what God did. Who are you going to trust next year? What do you think they said? And so they began to call us with all kinds of things going on. Now, we just had a word from God that he was going to do something great in the mountains. We didn't know what. So the chief of police called me one day in the city of Cumberland. He said, uh, Lonnie, you wouldn't have any police, tra- police cars to give us, would you? And we're talking about the city government. Anybody ever ask you for a police card before? I said, no, man, God hadn't given me any police cars, but if God gives me any, I'll let you have them. That's a pretty good deal, isn't it? And I said, we could pray and ask God to provide us with the things that we need that the quality of our life would honor God. Now, Joe was a, I don't know if he was an unbeliever. He sure wasn't church, for sure. Uh, but one thing I do know, that Joe's life changed around after that. He was a chief of police. So I, we were downtown Cumberland. I grabbed him by the hands, and here's what I prayed to God. I said, God, Joe needs to know you. And he's got a need in his life that no man can meet. Not any government can meet. But, Lord, you can. And if you would be pleased, would you meet the need of Joe's life so he'll know that you're exactly who you say you are? So I get a call some two, three weeks later. Joe's on the other end. He said, uh, preacher said, let me tell you what God did. Now, here's a lost man telling a preacher, you won't believe what God did. I mean, that's pretty amazing to me, isn't you? I knew God was up to something. I said, well, go ahead and tell me what God did. He said, we came up with just enough money that we bought five brand-new police cars. We had no idea we were going to get this money. And Joe Eldridge is now involved in the Blair Community Chapel. His life turned around. He gave his heart to Christ, and uh, he called them God cars instead of squad cars (laughs) because he knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that God had given him those cars. God initiated that. I had nothing to do with it. I just happened to be there. But somebody has to believe God can do what God wants to do in any situation. If somebody's not believing it, God's probably not doing it. And so somebody needs to believe it. One other thing I'm going to be through in just a minute. This fellow bought the old uh, Novo Theater downtown. And we live in a very poverty town, so the old theater had been closed since the 60s, and the roof was caving in, and it was in real bad shape, and... He bought this old theater, and he came to me, and he said, Lonnie, can you help me fix this theater up? I said, I don't know. What are you going to do with this old theater? He said, well, I want to have concerts in here and 
I want to have revivals and seminars and just teach people about Jesus. I said, oh, yeah, you can count me in. As God gives me leadership, I'll be glad to help you out. And uh, so he got this big theater fixed up. It's a beautiful place called the Noble Theater. He came to me one Friday afternoon. He said, Lonnie, I got all my money tied up in this old theater, as you know, and it's a very beautiful place. Had it all painted up and fixed up. And he said, I got to looking around at some theater seats and said, those things are so expensive. He said, you wouldn't have any theater seats to give a man, would you? I said, no, God hadn't given me any theater seats. You know the rest of it? But if God gives it to me, I'd be glad to let you have it. See, I'm, I don't want to hang on to stuff. I just want to be a... I just want to be a blessing so people come to know Jesus. That's the part of why we're here, isn't it? But we want to hang on to stuff so much, he, he can't bless us. And so I, I said, well, if God gives me some theater seats, I'll let you have them. So we prayed on a Friday night. And uh, we got up on a Saturday morning, and I had an email from a friend of mine in Mount Vernon, Illinois. And here's what the email said. Lonnie, this college up here has ordered some theater seats, and they've got to get rid of some. Do you need any down your way? I'm talking about Saturday morning now. So I go call Steve up. I said, Steve, God may have given us some theater seats. <laughs> there was silence on the other end. He said, I hate to be picky. Don't you love people like that? I said, what do you mean you hate to be picky? He said, well, I got all my money tied up in this building. I can't afford to have these seats reupholstered, or I can't afford to have them altered in any way. They need to be blue, and they need to fit a slanted floor. I said, well, surely if God give us a bunch of theater seats, he'd make them the right kind. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't think going to... I didn't even mess with you like that. I, so I, I said, well, I'll, I'll find out and see. So I had the guy send me down some pictures of these theater seats, and guess what? They were blue, and they fit a slanted floor, and they brought us down about $90,000 worth of brand-new theater seats that are now in the Novo Theater, and they were a perfect fit. We had the perfect number delivered. I mean, it couldn't have been any more perfect than that. Uh, an interior designer could not have designed the colors of that seat and that wall to match any more perfectly than God did. It was incredible. And so we had a Gold City Quartet uh, concert, the first service in there, and saw eight people give their heart to Jesus. Now we, have, we had a prayer meeting there, and folks from all across America, far away as California, came to Lynch just to join us in a prayer meeting. And we had a youth rally some time ago, and uh, we did, and they had a youth rally there in the Novo Theater and had 23 teenagers give their heart to Christ. You see, God can use a theater seat. God can use anything you have. If somebody believes that God will really show up, and we just believe God can do anything. And so when he took us there, he said, I'm going to do things so that the world will know that God has done this thing. Now, what I've told you tonight has nothing to do with me. I hope you've got that. It has everything to do with God. And when God speaks a word to you, it's as good as done. And if you don't believe it, watch this close. If you don't believe what God speaks to you, he's going to go right around you and find somebody who will. And they'll get the blessing of following God and you'll miss the greatest blessing of your life. If you don't know what God has in mind for you, then through your spirit you communicate with God and God will show you his heart. And when you see his heart, it is a done deal. You may have to wait a while, but it's a done deal. When God speaks, it's always a finished product. You understand what I'm saying? The Bible says, the just shall live by faith. And we will walk by faith and not by sight. So you and I are called upon as God's people to be a people of faith. And the people outside these walls are looking right at you to see if you really believe that God is who he says he is 
or if you're just going through the motion of saying you believe God. You see, we really put our lives on the line, and I'm asking you to do the same. Put your life on the line and say, God, I'll believe you no matter what happens around me. And when you say it, I'll expect it to be done, and it will be done. Maybe tonight you have been walking in your life through sight, and all of a sudden God wants to rearrange you and allow you to live by faith. Now, this has not been an exhaustive study on faith. It's just been a little simple sermon. 